Let's give it up one more time for our music team. Come on. I love, I love being able to follow up after you guys. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Ooh, okay. All right. I'll, uh, I'll try hard today, all right? All right, so my name is Ray. I have the privilege of being the student pastor here at Momentum, and uh, today I have the privilege of giving the message. So um, Pastor Tim, I think he's in Navarre today. I just want to say thank you, Pastor Tim. And um, I wanted to dive right into it today. So I wanted to dive in with a story from my eight years old self, okay? Um, and I thought instead of trying to explain to you uh, what you're about to see, I figured, um, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words or uh, maybe a thousand nerds. So check it out. All right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Good reaction. All right. We're starting. We're starting good. All right. So check, check this out. 1998 throwback. I'm eight years old. That's my little sister, Lindsay. And uh, let's just break this down for a sec. Okay. So what you see on top of the head, that's called a flat top. Okay. Now you can't tell because there's a runway down the middle in this picture, but so, so flat tops, they will make or break you. You know what I mean? They'll either make you look like a hardcore Marine or they'll make you look like that. Okay. So, um, scanning down. Okay. So check it out. Uh, the glasses supported by the big, uh, structures on the side of my head. All right. Um, let's check this out for a sec though. Glasses. I'm not wearing glasses today. I'm not wearing contacts today. I never had to actually wear glasses. My mom just thought it was a cute idea to take me to the eye doctor one day. And he's like, I don't, I remember this. I don't think he, you know, he's okay. And she's like, no, but he really has these headaches. And I think it's his eyes. And she's like, he's like, ma'am, I just, we can give him like the minimal, like more of a magnification, not like a prescription. And she's like, okay. So for a year, I walked around with glasses and I never needed them, okay? I've been since an adult. I have 20-20. I'm good, okay? So mom, thanks, okay? So scanning down and look, you don't even have to go that far because I'm buttoned up to the top, okay? So 98, Bill Nye was cool. I could have lied if I maybe found a bow tie, you know? I was like, yeah, I'm part of the Bill Nye Science Club, you know what I mean? But like, I couldn't even redeem myself with that, okay? I was buttoned up to the top every single day I went to school, Okay? Going down, little sister Lindsay. Now, check these things out, okay? These pants actually are cool. These jean shorts are Jinko. Oh, hold on before you laugh at me, okay? Those are Jinko jeans, okay? If you don't know Jinko, go look it up. They were cool, okay? They had, always had this weird big patch. It was always obnoxious, but it was a cool thing in the 90s, early 90s. Jinko jeans. Here's the problem with those Jinko jeans, other than they make no sense on what I'm wearing. Um, those aren't mine. See, I had a friend, his name was Matt, he's a little bit older, and he would give me his hand-me-downs, okay? Um, The problem with that is that I would get the hand-me-downs, and I was like, yeah, these are cool, or at least cooler than my clothes, okay? Um, But they're still not as cool as I want. So one day I'm visiting Matt, and I see these, and I'm like, yep. So just confession, I stole those jeans that you see in this picture at the age of eight, and wore them trying to redeem myself, okay? This is the first day, by the way, making first impressions, first day of school, this picture was taken, uh, going into, oh, I don't know how old I was. I think it's third grade, fourth grade. So then what you do not see is there is no Nikes on my shoes. There's no Nikes on those feet. Um, what I am sporting in this picture is a pair of New Balance because I had the flattest feet in the world. And uh, so I was like, hey, Grandpa, can you pick me up a pair of those too? Right? 
threw them on my feet, and uh, that was me, and that was me every single day of my life for all of elementary school, okay? So just so you know who we're talking about, that kid, okay? So here's the deal. Me and my sister, we went to a before and after school program, a daycare, right? And uh, what I remember about this daycare is that it had this awesome playground. Like, (laughs) I don't remember anything else, but I remember the playground being sweet, okay? I remember this big wooden tower, like two stories tall, right? And if you you ever playing these, you always know that there's at least one wasp nest waiting on you. So there was this huge tower, you know, twirly slide the tube kind, you know what I mean? And it's just kind of like you're going down and you're like, I'm kind of claustrophobic, but we'll be okay. You know, like I'm going to make it out of here soon. And you pop out and you're like, oh, that was, you know, it was like an adventure, right? But then there's that one annoying kid who stays in there and you don't know about it and you drill into him. He's laughing. It's not funny because Big Joe's behind you and you're in the middle, right? So like that, that was like that experience over there. We'd play castle games. And then they had like all these other ones like sandbox and stuff. But then, okay, what we had was this big slide. And we call it, that's all we call it, the big slide. There's other slides, but this is the big one, okay? And here's the deal. I don't think they make these anymore, okay? Um, I've seen slides, but not these kind, because these kind were made of metal. Anybody remember those? Yes, okay? These ones were, why would you do that in Florida? Like, we don't go lay on our car, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's middle of summer. Let's just go touch metal. Like, but they made a slide. So by the end of it, you would have seared your rear like, by the, you know what I mean? And then, like, it was only, like, you could really only write it three times before maybe having to go to a doctor. So there's the big slide. I got the tower. And it was this awesome playground. But there was a problem with the playground. See, I couldn't enjoy the playground to the fullest because I had a bully named Chad. Okay? And if your name's Chad, it's all good. It's not you unless it's you. And then we can talk. Okay? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I had a bully named Chad. Now, I don't even, like, blame Chad too much because I had a very punchable face, okay? But here's the deal. Chad would come around, okay, once, minimum once, every day, every day, my whole elementary up to this point, Chad would stroll around with his goons. He'd say something about something that I can't even, he would never pick on the Jinko jeans, okay? But everything else was clearly you know, a target. So he would say something, he'd give me one of these. And I'm like, my whole life, I'm like, is this, you know what I mean? Like, are we ever actually going to do this? You know what I mean? Like, so he would do that. And every once in a while, he would do it more than once. Okay. So when Chad was on the playground, I would just stick to the benches. If Chad was over here, I was over there. If Chad's over there, I'm going over here. If Chad's doing his rounds, it's safer just to sit. Okay. So, so Chad's doing his round. I'm sitting and I'm drawing. Okay. Chad's not going to mess with me. I'm sitting next to a teacher. Okay. So here's the deal. Chad's doing his thing. I look up and I see my sister for the very first time get in line on the big slide. Now there's two things here. One, I'm like, good for you, sis. Like, cause I mean, it's, it's big, it's intimidating. Secondly, I clearly want her to go down this because it's going to be hilarious when she finds out that it is not comfortable. Right? So, so I'm like, yes. Okay. So I'm sitting, I'm, I'm positioned perfect to see it. And I look over and she's in line. A few moments later, she's at the base. She's going to climb up to the top. And a few moments later, she's at the top, okay? And there's that sense of like, yeah, we're Millsaps. We do the big slide, right? So I look over, and I'm like, cool. So I set, just a second, set my pen down, and I look over, and there she is. She's on her way. The problem is that she's not sliding down the slide. She's tumbling down the slide, the big slide, the big serial rear big slide. And she falls face first like a belly flop, into the mulch, real mulch, not like that nice mulch we have these days where, like, parents were tempted to, 
you know, kind of take a nap while we're watching our kids. Like, but like the real mulch, like when you get sweaty, it sticks to your face and you think you cleaned it off, you get home, it's in your socks. That kind of mulch. And she belly flops, hits it face first, stands up, she's crying. Scan up to the top of the slide. Who's at the top? Chad. Chad has pushed my sister down the slide and he's laughing at the result of it. And I have, to this point, never stood up to Chad in my life. But that day, Big Brother kicked in, and that day, Big Brother kicked him. And I will spare you the details, okay, of a bully beatdown, but I promise you that Chad never, ever, ever, ever picked on me or my sister again. So, oh, yeah. You guys just clap for a little kid getting beat up, but <laughs> that's on you. Um, so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. That day as an eight-year-old, I fought a fight that I felt I had to fight. Little eight-year-old, and I fought the fight I felt I had to fight, and I won. And what I noticed that day, what was revealed to me was that inside of me was a power, inside of me was a strength that I've had this whole time, but I haven't been walking in it. And that's where we're going today, is, is the fact that we have bullies in our lives. We all have bullies in our lives that will steal the joy or stop us from living life to the fullest. And sometimes even worse, they will cause us agony in our lives, usually on a personal secret level. And the bullies that I'm talking about are the lies of our lives. The lies of our lives. The lies that we sometimes listen to so much so that we start living those lies. See, men, it's like this. We wouldn't watch a woman get surrounded. We wouldn't stand by and do nothing. If our wives or a woman was being surrounded and someone was like, you're just, they're just, you're just ugly. Let's just start surface level. You're just ugly. You, in particular, you're not updated, you're outdated. The version of you that your man married is not the version you are today. And he's not smiling about it. You, you're unseen and you're unappreciated because the truth is, is you're not worthy of appreciation. You're not enough. You're not doing anything. And you're making no difference. Your kids... Your kids are a direct correlation of how well you parent, mom. So you must be a pretty horrible mom. We would never stand by and watch a woman receive that kind of crap. And if it was your wife, I guarantee you would have more than words for those people. Yet men, these are just some of the lies that our women here all the time.
ladies, we wouldn't be strolling down the street with our man and let some rando woman jump on him. Some of you are like, no, you don't know me, Ray. But no, no, no. But we wouldn't, let, we wouldn't let some woman jump on him, wrap her legs around him, and start whispering sweet nothings into his ear. No. I guarantee you, you would have hand, hair in your hand. There'd be teeth on the floor. You wouldn't let it happen. Not on your watch. Yet, lust jumps on our men and wraps It's ugly legs around them all the time. And it takes some of the strongest men out. We wouldn't watch a kid get thrown into a corner, whether he was yours or she was yours or not. We wouldn't stand by and watch him get thrown into a corner and say, man, you're just so freaking weird. Like, You don't have any friends. Like the friends that you think you have, they they don't celebrate you. They just tolerate you. You're just barely tolerable. You, you need to change. You need to change because you are annoying. You need to change because you are not enough. You need to change because the version of you that God made you, oh, good, isn't enough to stay around here. You're non-contributing zero. You're not enough. We would never stand there and let that happen to a kid. Yet whether your kid is the most popular in school or they are limited in their influence, I promise you this, is that our students are walking around listening to these very lies And at a young age, they're not just listening, but they're listening so much that they are starting to live it out. You got best friends? You wouldn't sit there with your best friend who just got jumped and go, ooh. As he's getting beat up and be like, bro, I'll pray for you. No. No, you wouldn't. You would jump in. You're like, I don't even know how to fight but I'd muster up some, like, flying throat kick. You know what I mean? Like, you would do something. You would do it. You wouldn't sit there. You wouldn't let your friend get beat. You would fight for him. We wouldn't let these things happen if they were visual. But the truth is, is that our coworkers, our family, and our friends are getting beat down. The fullness of life is being stolen by anxiety and by anger and by lust and by depression and by feeling of worthlessness. A disconnect from their potential, a disconnect from their purpose. And it's happening all the time. You won't ever walk out your door and lock eyes with a human who has not been lied to. And if we're being honest, we've had our own personal encounters with these very same things. And if I'm being honest, it doesn't just affect you. 
that doesn't just affect us. See, people, it affects your friends, it affects your family, and it affects the non-believers who are looking at your life. See, they're saying, I know they've been, whatever set free means, I know they've been set free, but their life looks no different than mine. Like, they talk more about their anger, their anxiety, their problems than they do about being free. They talk more about their problems than just being a regular happy person. And there is a clear dilemma is that there are many Christians talking about the freedom of Christ, but not walking in the freedom of Christ. And there are non-believers saying and looking, and what they're saying is, your freedom, that freedom that you talk about, that sounds good. Like, when you put it out on paper, that sounds good. Like, I would like that kind of freedom. And they're staring at us looking, though, and they're saying, what you're saying is what I want in my life. But what I'm seeing is what I already have. And so we effectively hinder our involvement in the spreading of the good news when we let the bully win. What do we do? What do you want me to do? If you're like me, you're asking, well, what would you want me to do, right? You think I just want to go every time I go out to an event or get around people that I love and just want to be around? You think I just want to have an anxiety attack? Think that's my choice? You think I married her and said, till death do us part and lied right there? Think I saw this coming? Think I just want to spew out of the mouth in anger all the time? What do you want me to do, Ray? You think I look at these little kids that I love with everything I have? I've watched them grow up since a baby, and you think I'm just trying to purposely destroy that relationship? You think I just like waking up in depression? No, I don't. But what do we do? What do we do when we get hit? I want you to hit back. What do we do when we get hit with lies? I want you to hit back. How? Let's look at the example. Let's look at Jesus. Luke 22, 39 through 34. This is right after the, the Last Supper that Jesus has said, I'm gonna, my body is going to break for you. I'm going to spill my blood out for you. He's trying to tell them what's to come, and they're not fully grasping it, but he's telling them, I'm about to die, and I'm about to die for you. 
And this is where we pick up. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet your will be done. Not mine. And an angel of, of the Lord appeared from heaven, appeared to him and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. This is Jesus, the son of God. Fully human, fully God. Why is he in such agony? Why is he in such agony? Maybe it's the fact that the ones that he came to die for are coming to arrest him. Maybe it's that his creation in a few moments is going to be hitting and spitting in his face. It might be the whips that were tipped with shards of metal and shards of glass that would rip meat from his bone. And it might be the crown of thorns that was shoved into his skull as they mocked him as king of the Jews. It might be the suffocation that crucifixion brings. Might be piercing of his hands and feet and the breaking of the bone that that nail goes through. Or maybe it's that he's the king of kings and he's about to be stripped naked and humilified by the very ones he loves most. Any one of those are liable reasons to be in anguish. But this is the son of God. This is the son of God that healed the blind. This son of God that walked on water. This is the son of God that raised people from the dead. This is the son of God who, by just his words, shut down lightning and thunder. This is the same son of God that in John, same story, when they come and they're saying, we're here to take Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he says, I am. And out of the authority of his word, just his words, it says that they fell to the ground as if they were dead. Like his presence alone was like standing in front of a grizzly bear. I'm just going to play dead. This is the son of God who could call down angels at any moment and end it all. Why is that son of God in such agony? Is the flesh understanding what's to come in the near future? Absolutely. 
But Jesus lets us in on a little secret in Matthew 11, and he says, no one fully knows the Son except for the Father. And no one fully knows the Father except for the Son. Why is that important? Because Jesus is the only one who fully, 100% knows the height, the width, and the depth of God's love for every single one of us. And he also fully knows the wrath of God. Why is he in such agony? Because in a few moments, he's about to consume the full wrath of God for every sin that we've ever committed. In just a little while, he's about to be disconnected from his father for the first time in eternity, and his father will turn his back on him. And every single bit of burden and guilt and shame that we have ever had to bear Every bit of depression that we've carried around, he's about to feel it, and he's about to feel it at one time. Jesus is facing death and separation from his father. And he is facing the most anguish that anybody will ever go through. What does Jesus do when he gets hit. He knelt to the ground and prayed. He knelt to the ground and prayed. Jesus who could call down angels. Jesus who could clearly do whatever he wants. Knelt to the ground and prayed. Why? Because he's giving us an example to follow. Prayer and the word of God. Prayer and scripture are what God has given us to hit back. Prayer and the word of God are what God has given us to hit back. If it is good enough for the king of kings, then it is the absolute go-to for us. A lot of us, a lot of us look at prayer as this, this thing that we just do in the moment. It's kind of like a self-defense course. It's kind of like when you're getting your butt beat, you're like, oh, maybe I should have took karate when I was a kid. Maybe I should have gotten some trouble, some street fights, right? It's like, it's like, man, I wish I knew how to fight. Well, it's a little too late. So today, what we are called to do is fight back. What we're called to do is hit back. See, make no mistake that Jesus is not apathetic about the sin in our lives. Jesus is not apathetic against the lies in our lives, and he has called us to stand against it. See, Jesus, John 2 You're like, I don't know. I thought he was like a sheep holding shepherd kind of guy. I've actually never read that in the Bible. So I don't know where that guy got that painting from. He clearly is not a Christian. Okay, so here's the deal. It's not in there. He doesn't hold sheep. It's not what he does. He wasn't even a shepherd. He was a woodworker. So anyway, total tangent. 
John 2, he walks into church, he walks into the temple, and he sees that they're in open sin. You know what Jesus does? Doesn't come over and put an arm around him and be like, hey, guys, okay, uh, can, you, uh, can you maybe take this out? No, he hand fashions a whip, okay? Anybody ever hand fashioned a whip before? No, I didn't think so. Okay, so here's the deal. He hand fashions a whip. He comes and starts kicking and turning over tables. He's not apathetic about lies standing where the truth is supposed to be. You got to understand, Jesus is passionately against what is against us. Our king is against the thing that would separate us from him. And it's time that we have that same passion. It was my prayer coming into this that I wouldn't encourage you or just encourage you to fight. That I would equip you to do so. That I just wouldn't inspire you to fight, that I would teach you to do so. So what I want you to do is I want you to pull out your pens and your papers, and I want you to pull out your phones, whatever you take notes on. Because God has called us to stand up against the lies in our lives. James 4 says, resist the enemy and he shall flee. Check this out. It doesn't say, (laughs) we said this, right? It doesn't say stand there and get beat till he gets so tired that he just walks away. It says, stand up, resist the enemy, and he shall flee. Ephesians 6, that talks about the armor of God. It goes through the breastplate, the, the, breastplate the, the helm, the belt, the feet, the shield, right? And then it ends on something a little different because all of these things are defense. But then it says, but the word of God, the spirit of the Lord, is your sword, God wouldn't have given us, given us an offensive weapon if he didn't want you to hit back. So, so how do we hit back? Number one, number one, you got to know your opponent and you got to know his weakness. What do I mean? You got to know the lie and you got to know the truth to hit back with. And the truth is found in the word of God. The truth is scripture. The truth is the Bible. You got to know your opponent. What's the lie? What's the truth I can hit back with? Is it fear? Because I know truth that I have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. So if you're coming around here fear, you're going to get hit back. You got to know your opponent. You got to know its weakness. Number two, you got to practice your punches. You got to practice your punches. What do you mean? Scripture memorization. Here's the deal. If you came in and we went to Roy Jones Seniors, he's an awesome local trainer, just so you know. All right, so here we go. And we go to Roy's, right? And he's like, okay, this is how you jab. This is how you jab. And you're like, okay, cool. And you came up and you were like, is this it? Is this it right here? And he's like, oh, nice, good. You picked it up. Those three little jabs will not prepare you for a fight. Just because you read scripture one time, just because you got goosebumps when somebody spoke to you one time, that will not prepare you for the fight. Skimming, I love you guys, but skimming a devotional, that's good. But that's not practicing the punches. See, if we go back to that that scripture in verse 39, Jesus practiced the punches. 
It says he went to the Mount of Olives as usual. As usual what? As usual as he usually would pray. Some, some versions say as it was his habit or as it was his custom. Jesus, the Son of God, practiced his punches before the fight ever came. We are not exempt. You don't want to learn how to fight in the middle of a fight. Identify what the lie is. Identify the truth to hit back with. Memorize scripture. I'm not talking about, here's the deal, Christians. I'm talking to Christians in the room. I'm not talking about memorizing a whole story. I'm not talking about memorizing a whole chapter. I'm talking about memorizing a scripture so that you can walk free of the lies that some of us are living today. Is there worth in that? Yes. And then number three, when the fight comes, hit back. You've identified your opponent. You identified his weakness. You've practiced up to this moment. So when fear comes or when anxiety comes, when lust comes, you have that punch loaded, locked, and ready. You're ready to fight. And when you get hit, hit back. Jesus, in the beginning of his three-year ministry, Jesus gets baptized and goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. And guess who shows up with him? Satan, the devil himself. And Satan hits him with lies repeatedly. And Jesus hits back with truth repeatedly. And at the end of that fight, he flees. And Jesus is left standing. He's our example. So many Christians are talking about freedom, but we're not walking in it. What would happen? Seriously, what would happen in your marriage if you started hitting back? You started living in victory. Know what it would do? It might open our eyes just enough to see that our spouse is getting hit too. You would never let it happen in front of you. Yet it's happening all the time. If you start hitting back, you can not only hit back for yourself, but you can hit back for others. What happens in our friendships? What happens in our workplace? When, when people, right, they've been saying, I know you talk about freedom, but I don't see a difference in our lives. And this 180 happens, and you're going the complete other way. And this little flame in a, in a dark place turns into this blazing fire. What would happen? When there is an actual change in the way that you live because you are no longer listening to lies that you've given into, but you are fighting and hitting back with truth. What would that look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. We'd have standing room only in here. Because the way that we would live our lives would be so free and so powerful that people would be, it would be enticing. It would be magnetic. 
People would feel you so much that they would have to know what makes you, you. And you could show them how to walk in freedom. Who's your opponent? What's its weakness? You need to practice your punches. You need to be ready to hit back. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being our example. I want to thank you for your boldness. I want to thank you that you fought for us. I want to thank you for going forward. I want to thank you for hitting back for us. Thank you for seeing the anguish ahead of time and still leaving your throne because you love us that much. I want to pray over everyone today that you would teach us how to live a life to the fullest, that we wouldn't be afraid of what you've already won against, that we wouldn't be afraid of a fight that you've already won, that all we have to do is hit back. And if you're in this crowd and you don't have a relationship with God, you're not living life to the fullest. Freedom is found in God. Freedom is found in the name of Jesus. Freedom is found where the Spirit is. And if you don't have that relationship with the God who's so madly in love with you that he would die the death that we deserved, that the Son of God would trade places so that we could become the children of God, If you don't have a relationship with him, then I just want to introduce you to him today. He is passionately against the things that are against you, and he is also passionately and madly in love with you. And if you want a relationship with that God, with Jesus Christ, then today I would love to pray together to God. And praying is just talking to God. That's all it is. So I'd love to introduce you to Jesus and just have a talk. And if that's you today, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. And church, we're praying this prayer together to encourage those who are doing this for the first time. And if you want that, this prayer, it's this prayer. It's Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for forgiving me of my imperfections. Thank you for forgiving me of my failure and my mistake. I accept your forgiveness. And today, to the best of my ability, I put my trust my faith in you that you died for me and that you rose again for me and that fullness of life is found in you
I accept your gift of eternity. Teach me how to love. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to live life to the fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look up here, look up here. So check this out, guys. If that was you and that was your first time today, I'm not about embarrassing you, and I won't. But I want to call you to take your first step. I want to call you to a step of boldness, and we want to celebrate with you. So I'm going to count to three, and on three, if you made that decision today, we want to celebrate with you. We have a free gift we're going to hand you real quick, and then you can put your hand back down. But if you just gave your life to Jesus, then I'm going to count to three, and I want you raising your hand, and we're going to celebrate church. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome.